just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. And for the second year in a row, we have confirmation that Cinderella is a New Jersey resident. What a weekend of New Jersey college basketball in the NCAA tournament. Fairleigh Dickinson University, Princeton University with two historic upsets. Princeton, they win two. They're into the Sweet 16. FDU, they take down a number one seed, Purdue, only the second time ever a 16 has defeated a one. They unfortunately fall to FAU last night, but a lot to be proud of for both of these teams. Jerry, just an historic weekend, as I said, with FDU and Princeton uh, winning these games. Princeton, of course, beating a two in Arizona and then blowing away Missouri to advance to the Sweet 16. They will take on Creighton on Friday. Just an incredible weekend for New Jersey College Hoops. This weekend was an infomercial for New Jersey College basketball. When you add FDU on top of Princeton, on top of what St. Peter's did last year in the same vein, it just shows you, A, how incredibly unpredictable and wide open and egalitarian college basketball and specifically March Madness is, and B, New Jersey's mid-majors, man, they got some guts. Like, it's not just about talent. It's about guts to be able to go toe-to-toe with these heavyweights. And you see that, and you see the country really responding to that. So for those of us and on this podcast, you know, I'm proud to say we've addressed all of New Jersey's teams. Of course, Rutgers and Seton Hall are the big ticket items, the high majors with the fan followings and deserving of the spotlight most of the season. But we have addressed all these teams all year. So we're really, you know, we no one saw this coming. Okay. We didn't predict what would happen this weekend. We didn't predict St. Peter's last year, but we knew that these were good stories that had a chance to break through. And boy, did they break through. I got to tell you, my phone has been blowing up and this is what it's all about, right? This is why you do the job. This is why you love the sport. This is why we have a podcast, Jersey Jump Shot, the whole state, because out of any corner, can emerge a great story. And this was two phenomenal stories a year after St. Peter's. What a magic carpet ride. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. After St. Peter's last year, it's funny. If you look at these teams, these mid-majors in New Jersey, St. Peter's with three wins last year. FDU with two wins, by the way. They win in the first four as well. Princeton with two wins thus far. So that's seven wins in the last two years. If you would have scooped me up off a, a desert island and told me New Jersey scored seven wins in the NCAA tournament the last two years, you'd probably think, wow, Rutgers and Seton Hall, they're doing pretty well. But it's the little guys that we followed all year that we know the quality of the coaches, the quality of the players. And you can throw seeding out the window because when they play this kind of basketball, when they play as well as they do, 
This is what happens. And there's a reason we're starting to see this more and more in March, not just for New Jersey teams, but a lot of the underdogs advancing deep in the tournament. There's quality at the mid-major level. And we've always recognized that in the state. We've recognized it around the sport. And now the rest of the world is starting to learn about what's being done, not only at the mid-major level, but mid-majors here in the Garden State as well. Let's just say that also I'm glad we had our two coach guests this year were Tobin Anderson and Mitch Henderson. So we had them on as guests. Let's take these one at a time. Let's start with FDU. And I just want to get everybody's thoughts. Like, you know, because you guys were all were watching, you know, Chris and Steve. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on what you saw at FDU. Uh, first against Purdue. And I know it's a few days ago, but I mean, we got to address it is, you know, the, the all time biggest upset in the NCAA tournament. I don't, I don't know if it's the biggest upset in the history of college basketball, like D3 Chaminade beating number one Virginia, that's probably the biggest, okay? That's like 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But but in the NCAA tournament, definitely. And look, and Chris can address the Purdue part in a minute because he's seen them a lot this year, as, as have I. But from FDU's standpoint, I thought it was the perfect game plan and executed with guts. Like really, look, we're as good as these guys. That was what FDU had in their head. And that was a really big part of it. What did you think, Chris? Well, listen, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, you know, a team like Rutgers actually kind of gave a team like FDU and others a blueprint for how to beat Purdue or how to try and beat Purdue and hang with them. Purdue can't handle a press. We saw it during the regular season. We saw it again in the Big Ten tournament. FDU, they pressed. Um, they played some zone. They made life absolutely miserable for Zach Eady collapsing on him every time he touched the ball and basically dare Purdue to shoot and Purdue could not shoot from the three. So it was a perfect, it was a great game plan. As you said, Jerry it worked to perfection and a, a team like Purdue that just plays the big 10 style, slow, kind of more of a prodding pace. FDU style was completely, you know, the complete opposite. They, they're fast, they like to get up and down. They were aggressive. They have great guard play and it worked to perfection. And it was just Purdue couldn't keep up. What do you think, Steve? I think my biggest takeaway from the whole FDU, uh, just incredible story, is that it really sheds a light on the level, the quality of players coaching at the lower levels of the NCAA. You know, it's not just Division One. You know, Division Two, II, Division Three. There's a lot of good players. There's a lot of good coaches there. And to me, if th- if this shines a light on that, I think it's a great thing because you know so many kids, for whatever reason, are not going to play Division One basketball. But there's a lot of talent out there. And well, thinking about some of the kids who Tobin Anderson brought from Stack to FDU with him, a kid like Demetri Roberts too, to have the opportunity, you go from Stack playing at the D two level to now all of a sudden playing in the NCAA tournament, upsetting number one seed in Purdue. I mean, what a moment that must be. And especially, you know, I grew up about 10 minutes from Stack. So, I, you know, I was very familiar with that school. And to see a kid go from Stack to that type of stage, I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty neat. Chris bringing the local angle. Nice. Uh, you also mentioned, Chris, how Rutgers kind of gave the world the blueprint. And I agree. Uh, but I want to also add that Tobin Anderson and Steve Peichel know each other very well. Uh, Tobin, I think I get the timeline here right. Tobin graduated from Wesleyan, where he was a player in Connecticut, the year before Peichel became a coach there. And when Tobin got the job at FDU, Peichel was either involved in recommending him for the job or was like very early reaching out and saying, this is a great hire. Like he, he, they know each other. So look, I'm not saying 
Peichel handed over, over his plans to Tobin, but it wouldn't surprise me if they talked about Purdue at some point during the week. And this is kind of how coaching works. It's kind of how who you know, right? And part of me did feel kind of bad for Matt Painter, who's a good guy and good for the game, right? Some of these some of these high major coaches are intolerable, like some of like people, you know, there's good people, jerks everywhere. Matt Painter's a good guy, he's good for the game, but his team was not they were not ready for that. Yeah, they're having a tough time. Yeah, yeah we'll get into the Big Ten's foibles in a minute. Uh, but it was just incredible. So now FDU wins. They pull the shocker of all time. And, like, they're the center of the world, right, the center of the sports world. Then they have to go around and turn around and play a game against FAU. And I, I may have said this to one of you guys. I know I was talking, you know, again, I talked to so many people this weekend. I can't even remember. But I said to somebody, I thought – FDU caught a bad break when Memphis lost because Memphis is totally uncoached. They are rolling out the balls. It's an AAU program. And you saw how ridiculous it was with Penny Hardaway and the players screaming at each other, players yelling at the coaches, players yelling at each other. During the game, Hardaway throws his water bottle when the game ends. Total buffoon, has no control, can't coach a lick. And you know, I think the basketball gods really stuck it to Memphis because, like, they got a terrible call with a couple seconds left on a what should have been their timeout. FAU gets a jump ball, gets the ball, scores, wins the game. Nick Boyd. Nick Boyd hits the winning shot. St. Mary's Rutherford, always a Jersey connection. More Jersey. More Jersey infomercial. Nick Boyd hits the winning shot. And I, I thought FAU matched up well with FDU. They're like, what if they do what FDU does, but bigger, better. You know, a little better tested, a lot lot a lot more wins in their pocket. And I thought if Memphis won that game that Tobin Anderson could pick, he could pick uh, uh, Penny Hardaway apart and they would get the, you know, Dimitri Roberts and Grant Singleton would really frustrate um, uh, Memphis's players. It didn't work out that way. And FAU turned out to be a tough matchup. Like really kind of, it was close, but kind of had him at arm's length a lot of the way. What'd you guys think of that game? FAU, uh, FAU, Steve, you know, a little bit better. And F, you know, FAU could have been, they could have been rolled in that game, but they weren't. They punched back pretty hard. No, absolutely. And honestly, I, I, I thought the game was was almost spinning out of control for a while. There it was going so fast, which I thought was pretty good. But I will say this: I was not as impressed with FAU as I thought I was going to be. You know, again, I I thought the game was there for the taking for FDU. I thought that late turnover hurt. You know, but it, it it was there for the taking. Um, if they just just could have made a few more layups, made a few more shots down the stretch. You know, I I didn't think FAU was unbeatable. That's for sure. That game could have looked so much different had FDU made some of those easy shots inside, oh, as you said, Steve. I, I, mean, I think they missed eight or nine layups in the first half. Um, it could have, you know the entire complexion of the game could have been changed, but. It was still a fun game to watch. I mean, that was a fun pace up and down. It was, it was, that was a, that was, was a great wild. Basketball game. Yeah, and, great. Real, and really Tobin Anderson's kind of, the, he's the breakout star the first weekend of the tournament. I mean, the guy's so charismatic, you know, at this press conference last night, the moderator tried to shoo him off and he, he refused. He stayed on. You saw Chris, he kept answering questions. I got a funny Tobin Anderson story about how much he sweats. So, you know, I went up to FDU for the semifinal of the Northeast Conference tournament where they clinched the they clinched the bid to the NCAs. Tobin comes into uh, his press conference and then he 
he goes around and like we've made a, we've talked a lot about Steve Peichel shakes the media members' hands when he's done speaking. Tobin hugs everybody in the media, hugs them. And I've only met him like two or three times. Gives me a hug. He was soaked with sweat. <laughs> it was disgusting. And it was endearing. It was cute, but it was gross. So anyway, he leaves. And then the St. Francis coach comes in, losing coach comes in, sits down in the chair and goes, oh, he goes, I'm sending Tobin a dry cleaning bill. It's just, it's a fascinating. And the guy works so hard on the sidelines. No, he's a he's a character. That's he's crying on the podium yesterday. This is what college sports is, a, is supposed to be about. Like guys care. They wear their emotions on their sleeve. It means a lot to a lot of people. Like FDU won over a lot of people this weekend, and it's going to be good for the university long term. The same way it's been good for St. Peter's with their applications going up and branding opportunities. I mean, the schools don't get this chance. This is like their generational chance to introduce themselves to the nation, and FDU did it. Yeah, and they'll be forever an answer to a trivia question along with uh, UMBC as a 16 seed to beat a number one seed. And just kind of adding to the legend of all that was Tobin Anderson kind of calling his shot in the locker room after the first four, saying how, you know, the more he looks at Purdue, the more he thinks they can be beat. A lot of people kind of laughed at that at first. And then yeah, they go he was right, it. man. He, he's Mark Messier. He was right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I listen. when he said that, I said, oh, boy, that's not a great idea. And then uh, me wrong. he had his cake and he ate it, too. <laughs> all right. One more thing about Tobin Anderson. And I don't want to get to a school that doesn't need a branding opportunity. And that's Princeton. All right. But uh, Tobin Anderson. uh Look, he's going to be a hot name for jobs now, okay? And he's only done one year at FDU, but a heck of a year it was. People know he can coach now, and so and they like him. So I'm just going to throw this out there that if if and things could change, this is fluid, but if Rick Pitino takes a St. John's job, as we expect, and that could happen today, I think Iona is going to take Iona is going to take a long look at Tobin Anderson, who has coached a long time in that area already. And, you know, I think would be a really good fit there. So who knows? Iona does have a lot more money to throw around than FDU. We'd love to keep him in Jersey, but, you know, I think that's he's going to be on short list. And Iona is just one that, that pops to mind at the moment. So we'll see. Uh, but moving on to speaking of you know, branding opportunities and a school that doesn't need one, <laughs> Princeton. How about Princeton? And so, look, only – only in this season, this March Madness, could Princeton making the Sweet 16 get get briefly overshadowed by another New Jersey school. But now, moving forward, the the floor is Princeton's. They're carrying the flag, and like for most, for the vast majority of college basketball's 363 programs, making the Sweet Sweet 16 is like making a Final Four or winning a national title. I mean, the the stage that you get for a full week is extraordinary. And Princeton's moving into that territory. And I got to tell you, and Steve, you watch these guys closely too. Like you saw Princeton take a dramatic leap forward. Like the, the Ivy league has been really good all season. And like Yale is just as good as Princeton, but Princeton took a dramatic leap forward over the last couple of weeks and came together as a team. And that game they played against Missouri was an absolute clinic. It was a clinic. They were the best team you know, from the minute they stepped on the court, uh, which is which is unbelievable, really, when you think about it. We, I mean, we saw Princeton a lot this season. They were a very good team. But, uh, Jerry, you were at the tournament, the Ivy League tournament, 
where, I mean, they were clearly playing their best basketball of the season. And you, you see that. You see they come out of a, a very competitive league. And when you throw them in against high major teams, you know, they – They've been in. They've been in a cauldron, you know, for the last month of big games. You know, trying to get in, make sure that you're in the top four of the Ivy League, so you can get in the tournament and get this chance. So they've been in must-win games for a while now, and uh, you see it. And I think you saw the same thing with St. Peter's last year, coming out of a, a very competitive league. Yeah, in a lot of ways, Princeton's a better compa- a better parallel to St. Peter's than FDU is, because like FDU thing, it's ca- it's kind of a miracle, okay. And- <laughs> It's kind of a miracle. and But but Princeton, like we said with St. Peter's last year, this team's pretty darn good. They're pretty darn good. And so Princeton, the last piece for Princeton, because we all, we have been sounding the alarm all year about Tosana Woma, how good he is, what a special player he is, their point forward. Uh, he's going to be a pro probably next year. I thought maybe he could go into the portal because he's a grad transfer and, you know, Princeton can't – the Ivies can't play fifth-year guys. I think now maybe he's going to go pro and make some money somewhere. He certainly can, but whatever – Either way, we've been sounding the alarm. This guy's a special player. He's a matchup nightmare. And we've been saying all year, Princeton can shoot the ball. They pass the ball. They're fundamentally really good offensively. What And Princeton's been a pretty good rebounding team. What really has fallen into place the last couple of weeks is Princeton's defense has kicked it up a notch. And they've rebounded against these big physical high major teams. So the, I think a big reason why that Princeton's done this is because of Cade, Cade, Caden Pierce. I mean, the guy is – his brother plays plays for the Indianapolis Colts. This guy plays like a football player. He's a freshman who's who's who has emerged like as freshmen often do late in their freshman year. He's turned a corner and given them – he's like a high major athlete that's given them – he had 16 rebounds against Missouri. You know, he was kicking guys' butts. So he gives them that, that, uh, that junkyard dog when you add it to their skill, has made a difference. And I don't think you can uh, underestimate the impact that Mitch Henderson has had on this team and in this run and his experience, you know, and his love of the program and its history, you know, I think has played a huge role in all this, Jer. Yeah, 12 years, and he's just a Princeton guy. Like, he's a Princeton man. He gets the place. He gets the he gets their system. Like, he's taken Princeton's system and put it on steroids, you know, they still spread the floor. They still take good shots. They know how to move the ball. They still put the ball in the hands of their best player, the big man. Uh, but but now they're not bleeding the shot clock, man. They're shooting away. They're playing modern basketball with Princeton's great principles. And so it's a really it's a really appealing combination. Mitch is a great guy. He's a fascinating guy. He's a little different than I think a lot of these college coaches. Uh, he's just got a three-dimensional – like he's not a you know a lot of college coaches I think think in terms of winning and losing binary and that's understandable because that's how they're judged. Mitch is like a three dimensional guy which you know he fits into Princeton's mission really well. Which I know I hear his name mentioned for some jobs. I don't know. I think it's possible he could be there long term. He certainly he certainly fits that place like a glove. And let's give a little shout out to uh, Brett McConnell, his his lead assistant. Who's recruited? Who recruited Caden Pierce? Recruited Tosana Woma, and is a is a fine young coach in his own right. Who I think has a has a good chance to get the NJIT job, and would be a great fit because he's NJIT is a good athletic school. He has guys. Uh, he, he knows where to recruit for a good academic school. Uh, he knows where to recruit and find those guys who can who can get in to a school like that. So, a lot coming together for Princeton. 
Uh, before we turn the page on Princeton, I want to I wanna talk about the Creighton matchup because they got a game to play, and it's a really big game. And so, you know, Creighton's better. They're better than Missouri, and they're better coached than Arizona. Arizona's got a lot of talent. They're like an all-star team. I'm not impressed with the coaching of Arizona. We know Creighton, right, from the Big East, Steve. McDermott, Greg McDermott's a really good coach, a lot like Henderson in a lot of ways, the way they coach offense. And uh, this is Princeton's toughest test. But I think they got a chance. Like, I don't think – I think Princeton's got a real chance to win the game. Do I think Princeton can beat Alabama and get to a Final Four? I don't think so. But, but I think San Diego State has a puncher's chance to beat Alabama. And that would open the door. But Princeton first has Creighton. And it's going to be one of the great matchups of the weekend, of the second weekend, to see Tosan Awoma and Ryan Kalkbrenner, who is a seven foot one, you know, game changing rim protector and finisher for Creighton. That's a fascinating matchup and the chess match of how these players are going to be used against each other with all the shooters they have on the perimeter at their disposal. Steve, it's really like a, a basketball junkie's paradise. Creighton's offense is so fun to watch because, I mean, they just pass the ball so beautifully. I mean, it, other coaches steal their plays, they've told me, that they, they, they run so nicely. You know, so it is going to be it's going to be fascinating. And, and again, as you said, Jerry, it's Princeton's defense that has really put them in this position, and they're going to really be tested in this one. I got the this morning. I talked to someone who gave the ultimate seal of approval to the way Princeton's playing, and that is the one and only Bill Bradley, who is the greatest New Jersey college basketball player ever, and one of the greatest basketball players who's ever lived. Leading Princeton to a Final Four, where he was most outstanding player, leading helping the New York Knicks win two NBA titles. I mean, obviously a three-term New Jersey senator. So I talked to him this morning and. Bill Bradley said, and this is not, this guy has no reason to mince words. Bill Bradley said, I love the way Princeton plays. They play the game the right way. There is no better seal of approval. And he said, I will be, they will have to pry me from the TV on Friday. So I'll have something on that coming up, but that's all you need to say. So look, I've said this many times about Princeton over the years. They're in New Jersey, but they're not really of New Jersey. You know, it's sort of their own beautiful enclave with people from all over the world. Uh, but you got what you have to appreciate is Princeton has turned – this team has turned a New Jersey leaf over with the way they've rebounded and defended, the way they've planted some elbows, like the swagger they beat down Missouri and Arizona with. That wasn't classic Princeton basketball. That was Jersey. So I think when we conferred honorary New Jersey and title on Mitch Henderson – a couple of weeks ago, we were ahead of the curve. We might have to give that title to some of his players now. And it really, I got to say, it really made me made me smile when Tosan Awoma, someone asked him about his journey from England, and he said, I'm, I'm, Princeton's my home now. This is my home. Newcastle, England is my second home. So you have a representative of New Jersey in the Sweet 16 for the second straight year, a 15 seed, but I don't want to call him a Cinderella. This team's really good, and it's going to make for a fun, an additional fun joyride for all of us who love hoops in this state. And, Jerry, hopefully, I know this has been a thorn in your side. Hopefully those national talking heads stop thinking this team bleeds the shot clock down and wins by scoring in the 30s. Hopefully now they, ha they have a little bit of a better idea of what Princeton basketball actually is. This Jim Spinarkle will be on the call uh, on Friday, and he'll know. Jersey guy, right? 
He'll know. The people who did Princeton's game out of Sacramento, man, they did not know. But Spinarkle, Iron Eagle, they'll they'll be well versed on it. And it, it's funny just watching these games, just the body language you saw from both Arizona and Purdue, where basically they thought all they had to do was show up. And when these teams start to punch back, these mid-majors, as Steve said, they've been playing in the playoffs. They've been playing in the tournament for weeks now. They've been fighting for their postseason lives for quite some time. So this is nothing new to them. The pressure is nothing new to them. Uh, you won't have the surprise factor as much against Creighton. They know exactly what's uh, what's in front of them in the Sweet 16 in Louisville. So as we said, Princeton, Creighton, Friday night. The winner of that game moves on to face the winner of SDU, SDSU, San Diego State, and Alabama. So just great stories all around. Uh, congratulations to them. Congratulations to FDU for, once again, the mid-majors carrying the banner here in the Garden State. Uh, just quickly, Jerry, I know you wanted to touch on Seton Hall and Rutgers. They wrapped up their season this past week with losses in the NIT. Uh, we kind of said it on the last show. You don't know what kind of team's going to show up in the NIT, especially a team like Rutgers, who is so disappointed, obviously, to not make the tournament. They lose at home to Hofstra. Uh, I guess just wrap up the season for for the Pirates and the, the Scarlet Knights now. Let's talk about Rutgers for a minute. I really, I think we should spend a minute or two on this and the Big Ten, which Chris will chime in on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the First of all, I, I kind of like that Rutgers let their hair down and really let it rip uh, against Hofstra. I thought it was a great game. I know people are like, oh, how did you lose to Hofstra? And, of course, you know, you lose in the first round of the NIT when you're Rutgers and you were on the fast track to like a single-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. That that hurts. I thought it was a really good game, man. It was, the mo- it was great. It was the most fun I had watching basketball all year at Jersey Mike's Arena. It was Hofstra played out of their minds. And, like, Rutgers – Here's the th- my takeaway if you're a Rutgers fan. They turn the keys over to Derek Simpson, the freshman from Lenape, and he energized that offense. And w- I'm going to segue here in a minute into why this needs to, there needs to be more Derek Simpsons in the Big Ten. But And Chris will we'll discuss that. But so disappointing finish for Rutgers. Extraordinary press conference afterwards. I know we're a little bit old on this, like a week old, but – when like Steve Peichel and Caleb McConnell, who's had an incredible career and hat tip to him for being a great ambassador for Rutgers athletics. Uh, they, and Paul Mulcahy too, they really let it all hang out in a emotional 26 minute press conference about like the, you know, what they accomplished in the big picture and how much it kind of hurt what they had to go through this year, the ups and downs and how it really wore on everybody. And they had some bad luck. You know, they had a really poorly timed injury. Uh, they had a couple of bad bounces of the ball and they and they and they 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 gave away. They squandered a few games. They should have won. So there's a lot there. But you know, disappointing end for Rutgers. But I will say, really excited about the future with Derek Simpson because of what the spark that he provides. And which leads me to, and I will get to Seton Hall after this. But leads me to like the Big Ten getting eight teams in the NCAA tournament, and again, again not advancing, flopping. Only one team, Michigan State you know, with the, the greatest coach there is in the sport, a Hall of Famer, sort of pushing and pulling them past Marquette. That's it. They're the only team left. I mean, it's Purdue embarrassing for the Big Ten. Year after year. Year after year. year. Purdue was embarrassing. Yeah, yeah and, and Indiana, with all that talent and all that experience, Indiana gets folded up like a cheap suit by Miami. I mean, it was an awful performance for the top two seeds that were, you know, the conference got. And, you know, like Penn State and Maryland winning a game, that was good for them. But but can somebody break through other than Michigan State for a change? 
and the upper tier of that league and Illinois with all their talent, they did a terrible job, a terrible job. So, Chris, you explain what you and I have been talking about all year. What ails the Big Ten on this stage? Well, it's what I said earlier about Purdue. The Big Ten teams just can't keep up. It's just that slow style of play, it works during the regular season when you're going up against teams that play similar to you. But then you go into the NCAA tournament and you're playing teams that just have such fast guard play. They're aggressive. They like to get up and down. And it's just a totally contrasting styles in the Big Ten, like I said, just doesn't keep up. They don't score enough. It's just a totally different uh, level of play. And, I mean, we see it year after year after year. And that's why sometimes it gets frustrating during the regular season when we all we hear is, oh, the Big Ten's greatest conference in the country. Every you know, All these teams should be ranked. They're so good. Well, it, when it matters, they're not. You know, it's like they, they, they it, it's great all regular season, but then when it matters in the NCAA tournament, they can't get out of the first weekend. So, I mean, I don't know how it's going to change. I don't, these teams, well, they're going to have to, they got to get, they got to get better guards. They got to get attacking guards. It takes time. And it's just, it's, it's so, that's why all season when you hear the Big Ten's it's great, it's this, it's that. Okay. Well, then do better in the NCAA tournament because it's nice to do that in January and February. But when March arrives, you got to show up. And so far, those teams haven't. I'll say this for my fellow voters in the AP poll. There was very light Big Ten representation in the AP poll this year. Uh, Two teams maybe, you know, Purdue was in there. Maybe Indiana made a cameo, maybe a couple other teams. But I think the AP poll got it right. What got it wrong was metrics, was Ken Palm, you know, the net. They they got it wrong. They got it wrong with the Big Ten. Not that that those teams, not that those eight teams, I'm not going to pick any of the eight teams say they didn't deserve to be in the tournament, but they should have done better once they were in. And so, yeah, like everything you said, Chris, and I do think they need a philosophy shift. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're running slow offenses through big men like it's 1985. And that, that's not the way basketball's played anymore. So the Big Ten's behind the curve of these other leagues, and they'll either fix it or they'll continue to pack up the tents and start spring football early. Yeah, I mean, not to, not to pick on Purdue, but losing to a 16 this year, a 15 last year, and a 13 the year before – I mean, yeah, I know they played good teams, of course, but you got to win those games. I mean, you've been at or near the top of the Big Ten all three seasons just to have historic chokes year after year. It's it's embarrassing. All right, so let's get a word in on Seton Hall. Uh, So, like Rutgers, lost the first NIT game at Colorado in the final seconds. Unlike Rutgers, really didn't you know you you didn't have as big expectations in midseason. You kind of saw Seton Hall was going through some growing pains. Uh, with Shaheen Holloway and a sort of an, a patched together mishmash of a roster. Uh, so the 17 and 16 for Seton Hall, you know, went 0 and 2 in the postseason, it's below what, what Kevin Willard and the Pirates had done the last, you know, six or seven years. However, I do feel like, and Steve, you watch these guys closely too, I feel like Shaheen Holloway started to lay the foundation and establish a culture. And you see, and identity emerging. Now, they need more players, they need shooters, they need to they need help in the front court. But you see the identity emerging, right, Steve? Well, and listen, this is what Shaheen Holloway does, right? He's a recruiter, right? And now this is his first full recruiting cycle, right? He's gonna go through here. And now he's got to upgrade that roster. He knows it, and it's gonna be fascinating to see what he comes up with because he's going to bring in some some players and i think he's going to bring in guys who are committed to playing like he wants to play and uh i think it's a huge offseason right and so like holloway's going to hit the portal hard 
That's the expectation. He's going to bring in a couple impact players from the portal. We'll see if Tyree Samuel comes back. That's the number one thing. You know, he's graduated. He did four years with the Hall. He got a lot better this year. If they could get a five to move him to his natural four, he could really be a dominant player in the Big East. The tools are there. And you saw him ad- adopt Holloway's, you know, work ethic and grind and and attitude this year. Um, so, yes, he that's Samuel's decision is big. We'll see what happens. But I do, I do like the foundation Seton Hall laid. This is a very big offseason for them and Holloway. And we'll see. We'll see what they can do. But I think if you're a Seton Hall fan, generally, you got to feel good about the the way Holloway's teams are going to play. If he can upgrade the talent and put some of these guys he had, the returning guys, into more complementary roles instead of leaning on them so much this year, then you know the vision is there. The upside, I think, remains very high for his program at the Hall. The offseason underway for all but one New Jersey team, of course, and that is Princeton. As we said, they take on Creighton in the South region Friday. Alabama and San Diego State, the other matchup there. Just great games across the board in the NCAA tournament. Florida Atlantic and Tennessee. Kansas State against Michigan State. That's in New York. And then on the Midwest side, it's the one seed Houston, Miami. And then Xavier and Texas. That'll be a fun game in the West. This region might be my favorite, Arkansas and UConn, Gonzaga and UCLA. And of course, our attention will be focused on the Princeton Tigers. I'm sure yours will be as well. Jerry, Steve, and Chris, busy reporting on all things New Jersey college hoops. Be sure to read their stories on NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com. Things are getting really fun now. I can only imagine what we'll be talking about next episode. Will it be a Princeton Final Four? Tune in to find out. It's been a fun week of college basketball, and we have another fun week heading our way. Enjoy all of the games this weekend, and thank you so much for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.